Welcome to another episode of Hachan Hunting 2024. And we're heading out east. We're heading to Maryland. And uh, yeah, they do have a lot of hunting in Maryland. Actually, they have a lot of whitetails in Maryland. And the gentleman I have on today is Mike Buckman. <laughs> what a name. We'll talk about that more. But Mike is the founder of Huntfish USA and Network Outdoors. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. So let's just jump right into it. What about these organizations that you're heading up? Tell us about it. Absolutely. Um, Network Outdoors is the is the newest one. I'm a co-founder of that. My partner and I, Brandon, um, three, we're going on year three of this now. And the idea came off the back of uh, looking at a lot of the relationships and friendships that we have, the long-term relationships that we have stem from one common area. And that has been the the love and the passion of the outdoors, whether it be fishing, hunting, hiking, uh, even boating with some of the, some of the guys and gals. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, we thought, why not try to build a network of people that are, you know, have the same, same love, the same passion for the same things that we do, but also can, can use it as a, as a business networking tool as well. So, you know, it's not your conventional networking meeting. It's not your conventional get togethers. Um, we have chapters in, in various States. Now we're, we're steadily growing. We just opened a recent chapter, uh, outside of Austin, Texas. We kicked that off with a sandhill crane hunt, which was, uh, which was very awesome. Ribeye of the sky. So that was cool. A lot of the guys got to got to get. I out haven't and enjoy done that. that yet. I hear uh, everybody that I talk to says the ribeye of the sky. Why is that? I, you know, I, I, I they're a big bird, and they're 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 cuts of meat. They are they're, they're very tasty. They they are delicious table fare, and they are much larger than any other bird that uh, that I've ever had the fortune to shoot. They're they're a big slab of meat, so it looks like a big old ribeye, and uh, it's 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 very tasty. So yeah, maybe uh. Twelve Maybe next shotgun. year you can get out there with us. Well, yeah, I'd love to. But twelve gauge with yeah, yep. shotgun, or... just like your just like your goose hunting, duck hunting, nothing different. Um, they're decoying, calling them. You got decoys, just like the same thing. Okay, it's, uh, it's interesting. But they're huge. I mean, I've seen plenty of videos of them. Oh yeah, they are. They're great. They're they're big, very big. They stand. Uh, I don't know. I would say upwards of you know just under your chest height at the top of their head. They got long legs, slender you know slender long body and a very long neck so do you have to head shoot them in the air is that the best way no to you can if out? you're using you know bismuth or, or something like that um you know you can you can get them in the, you can get them in the chest and still kill them ideally you want to head shoot them so that would be a challenge for me <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it it's it's definitely it's different it's it's interesting for sure and that's down in texas mostly they had that or yeah out middle mid yeah midwest i know texas is that was a it's a big thing there and i know a couple other states I, I know that I heard of that they you know that they do it. It's a it's a it's a fairly uh, attractive hunt. No, I know Nebraska has a huge crane area. Wisconsin has a huge sandhill crane area. Is that what you're shooting? Sandhill cranes. Sand. Yep. Yep. Sandhill crane. Well, they make. Uh, there's a couple pictures. If you look on our social media, you can see some of the pictures. Um, I don't know if we have any video up yet, but there'll be some, so you can check it out on uh, on any of the. Any of the social media platforms for Network Outdoors, um, we're, we're on. All right. I think we're losing your bandwidth. Your, your, your sound is... Uh, TikTok. Where? Not, let me switch off of... Uh, I was going through headset. Maybe that might be a problem. Yeah, now you sound great. Okay, good. That's better? Yeah, because all of a sudden okay. you, just, you just went away. So let's get back to... Hunt USA and Network Outdoors. I interrupt you yeah, so, there, but no, no, no. That's, that's kind of how so I that, do that's going to be a that's going to be an annual hunt. So uh, you know, we'll let you know. I, I, we'll we'll definitely keep in touch. Hopefully, we do a couple more podcasts. You can be on you on ours, and and hopefully we catch up again. But we'll stay in touch nonetheless. And that's going to be an annual hunt out there. So uh, maybe even semi where we do a couple of them a year. I'll let you know when the next one is. It's uh, yeah. It's, can we sponsor? It's, it's a lot of fun. I, could Hutch on Hunting sponsor a kid? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. That would be fantastic. Okay. Well, put that in the Yeah, we'll get we'll go mind. we'll circle back to that for sure. Yeah. Just put that in the back of your mind. So, let's get Absolutely. back that to be... what you're doing now. So, 
you know, again, a, a lot of our long-term relationships, we we found that many of them were based off of uh, meeting that person at a, at either an event or something surrounding the outdoors. Some of them I met at sporting goods stores. Some of them I met, you know, on a hunt, on the river, in the woods, in a parking lot, what have you. But the relationships that were created there uh, and the friendships that were created there all have been, you know, not all, but a very high percentage or are very long lasting. I have friends that, uh, you know, we go to New York, we go and do a, a salmon river fishing trip every year up in Pulaski, New York, Pulaski, New York. And, uh, you know, th there's guys that, you know, I only see them once or twice a year, but you know, the, the bond and the, and the friendship that you have with them, you keep in touch, you know, text messages here and there throughout the year, but you get up there and you meet and you, you pick up like you never, like where you left off, like you, like you never were apart. As soon as you get together, you know, the, the banter starts to, you know, the, 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 ch the talk and the conversation, the spending time together on the river and just, you know, you pick up where you left off, like you never missed a beat. And it's been, you know, it, it may have been 10 months, 11 months since you've seen that person, but those kind of relationships happen often in the outdoors. And the more people that I've talked to, uh, a lot of people have those type of relationships, whether it be with, with friends that they're hunting with or guides that they've met and they do annual trips and such like that. But but those kind of relationships are the kinds that we're trying to to foster and build more of. And, you know, the more people, you know, within the network of the outdoors, uh, you know, the better off it is. Ideally, our long term goal is to own property in various states and have locations where, you know, those looking to to get into the events in the outdoor world, whether it's fishing, hunting, trapping, they'll have a place to go do that. You know, a place that we can we can put them up uh, and and have a better chance of being successful uh, early in their career. You know, I know anything you're doing, uh, regardless of what it is, if you're successful, it's, it's more fun. I mean, there's no two ways about that. You know, when you're accomplishing the goal you're setting out to do, it's just more fun. So, you know, having a network of, of people that, are, you know, love the outdoors and are, are willing to share what they're doing and their experiences. Um, some, even the places that they have to hunt, especially in the waterfowl world, a lot of guys, uh, we have our big, big duck hunters, big waterfowl hunters. And, you know, you're going out, you're setting up the spread, you're spending the time to get out there and you only have two or three people, but you can fit six in a blind. And, you know, they, they, they post on the internal board. We have an internal messaging system. They'll post, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be on the bay, you know, this day, anybody want to come just show up, you know, you don't even, if you don't have a gun, you don't even have to bring anything. You just show up in warm clothes and, you know, they'll supply the gun, the ammo, get out and enjoy the experience. And, you know, having people that are willing to do that, uh, it, it's a it's a great feeling, uh, you know, knowing that we're fostering and, and building a, a bigger awareness of the outdoor, you know, because conservation comes from license sales. And, you know, the more people we have involved doing this and get involved doing this, you know, the better off we are within the, you know, the conservation side of things. So, you know, spreading awareness and, and just getting more people involved in the outdoors how we can is our primary goal. And, you know, secondary goal that, you know, a subsidiary to that, you know, people are building uh, business relationships within the network as well. And, you know, they've, we've started other luncheons with other, with other groups. So, you know, now we, we meet once a month at each chapter for a monthly meeting. And typically that what we found to be one of the uh, most enjoyable events that we do, we shoot trap or skeet because any level of shooter can enjoy that. Any, whether you're a novice or an expert, whether you've never shot before, uh, we've had a couple people that never shot a shotgun before come and show up to the to the shoots and you know break two out of 50 targets and just absolutely fall in love still and you know now you know here they are they they went out and bought their own over and unders uh, you know they went on a couple pheasant and quail hunts and and now they're just they're fell in love they've become lifetime members of quail forever pheasant forever and you know here, here they are if it hadn't have been for coming to one of the meetings i don't know that they'd ever be in the situation that they're in and and now they're a huge, huge part of conservation for upland birds. And, you know, they're, they're buying their license in various states every year. And they just they fell in love with the with the whole whole upland hunting. And, uh, you know, that's to have things like that and to see things like that happen. It's it's really awesome. And to be a part of that is I mean, there's really, you know, in my opinion, there's really no second to that. I I've been very fortunate to be a part of quite a few people's uh, first deer that they've taken or first buck or or biggest fish of different species that we offer here in Maryland. And, you know, to be a part of that and to introduce people to that, you know, there's only one time that somebody gets to do something for the first time. And it, it you know, as a hunter to be there for somebody taking their first deer or their first buck or, or catching their first type of fish or what have you, 
it's a very it's a it's a it's a raw experience it's very it can be emotional it can be uh there's just there's a hard way to describe it and those of you that that are in the industry and do it and and know it and have experienced you know what i'm what i'm trying to explain but i'm probably not doing a good job at explaining you're doing great there's there there's really no second to that there's there's it's a feeling uh that of just jubilee if you will that uh that you know it's something that i want to be able to uh, be a part of replicating for as many people as I can uh, in as many areas as we can. And that's, uh, that's one of our, one of our biggest primary, primary goals on the back of network outdoors and uh, hunt fish USA is something that I started a long time ago because of that same situation. You're just introducing people to, to the outdoors um, in our local area here. I, uh, many people know me as the guy that they go to, to, to either get tips or, or information on, you know, where's hot to fish or, uh, you know, what can, where can I go find a deer if I want to just shoot a doe or what, or, you know, any, any good bucks, you know, of that I can go chase. And I have absolutely no problem sharing anything that I know on, on any of the state lands that I tromp around on. I'm, I'm tickled to death to tell somebody, Hey, I saw a good one here. You know, this is what I know. And if they're able to go out there and close the deal on that deer, I'm just as happy as if I shot it sometimes even happier, especially if it's, you know, if it's their personal best or, you know, it's a, if they're able to go have success on the back of the information I'm, I'm able to tell them or feed them. I, I enjoy that just as much as I do being, you know, being the one to be able to, to take the animal. Uh, so as a result of that, you know, I have, I have, a uh, an excess of hunting and fishing supplies. I have a, a garage full, a shed full, a man cave full of, of all kinds of different variety of things. So, you know, anybody looking to get into the, to the outdoors, a lot of people will send them my way and I'll, I'll outfit them up. I'll get them what they need clothing wise. And, you know, if we're going to go hunting, I'll have an extra firearm or an extra fishing pole, whatever it is that we're going to go do. I typically have enough to, to help, you know, support whatever it is that they're going to need or the group of people we need to get out there and go do it and introduce them to it. And then, you know, it, it, I haven't had anybody yet. You know, I say that knock on wood, but I haven't had anybody yet that I've taken out that hasn't had, had just a, a great time in what we're doing. And then want to continue it and do more and just become an addict. <laughs> you know, they're, well, what, what do I need to do this? Or what do I need to do that? You know, you know, what do I need to buy for this? Or how much do I need to spend on that? And, you know, so to help them through that whole process and, and get them geared up for what it is they want to do so they can be successful doing it. It's uh, it's something that I, I just, I absolutely love doing it. And I, like I said, it's, it's something that I want to repeat as many times as I can. Ultimately, the, the, the idea is, like I said, to own land across as many states as we can. And Huntfish USA will be the, the nonprofit side of things for Network Outdoors. Network Outdoors will be a for-profit. And eventually, um, I'm doing my research and learning what I need to know to, to create Huntfish USA to be a nonprofit so we can, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, gain more clothing and, you know, people can donate to us. And we can then, you know, have more than just what, what I have or a couple of other members have to be able to supply people and outfit people that want to get into the outdoors that we should put that, um, what you just said at, and can it, which we already have, but that's one of the great things about hunting, the hunting community. Let's just say it that way, because there's thousands of people just like you, Mike, just like myself that have enjoyed the hunting world, the hunting experience. And while we were talking, I went back to my first rough grouse in Foster Center, Rhode Island, that I shot with a single shot, a 20 gauge shotgun, coming out of the snow because it was cold. And I got it. And I was ecstatic. And, you know, that's, that's my first trophy. And I'll remember that forever because that experience, I did it all by myself. I didn't have a dog. So I was just looking for wingtips in the snow. Because a guy that was mentoring said, this is what you want to look for and just get out in the woods and look for it. And I did. And I stopped. As soon as I stopped, I brought my shotgun up and it was all over because it came out and I got on it. And that was it. And you can't replace that, ladies and gentlemen. And what Mike is doing, hundreds of other guys and gals, organizations are doing throughout the country because where he comes from. In Maryland, the Eastern Shore, I believe you're on the Eastern Shore, aren't you, of the Bay? Yes, sir. Chesapeake yes, sir. Bay. That is, if you just look at the history of waterfowling 
and goose hunting and now deer hunting, it's rich. Maryland, there's a lot of farm country, agricultural country. There's a lot of marshes, a lot of public land where people can have these type of experiences. You might not think so, but it's there. And if you go back in the history books of the saying, the decoy industry, if you have some of those early decoys, they're worth thousands of dollars. In fact, they have yeah, Madison Mitchell. They have auctions every year that will take some of those iconic decoys and sell them for ridiculous amounts of money. Yes, very. Yeah, and the Eastern Shore is known, you know, along the East Coast. It was the premier habitat, you know, for ducks and for geese. And that's where all the market hunting was done out of New York. They came down and, and killed hundreds and thousands of ducks and sold them at markets. Yeah, we actually have a museum here um, in one of our local parks in Northeast Maryland. And it, uh, it, so they had a couple things that, that we do out here on the body booting is one thing that is a, a style of hunting out here. Sure. You, you get into a big, huge floating suit and you go float in the water and shoot geese and ducks. Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, I haven't done it yet, but it is something I want to try. Uh, but the, the museum out, you know, it outlines that. And it also has where they, they have, I forget what they call the gun, but it's mounted on the boat and it's, it's like a giant, it's like a miniature cannon, essentially. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And the, the farmers would, would load or the hunters, they would load up everything that they could in it, nuts, bolts, washers. It didn't matter. They, they packed the powder, packed it full of whatever they could put in it to shoot. And the, the boat lays very low to the water. So they would paddle out to the ducks on the water get out where they were just where the distance they wanted to be and they would fire and they would kill just massive amounts of birds this way uh, out here on the Eastern shore for like, you're talking like the market um, to, to take ducks and waterfowl to the market. It's uh, it's, it's very rich. And it was one of that, the big decoy tarvers out here. Right. And that's and uh, there's, there's shows every year uh, that, that are out here and that's a, uh, you know, hand carved decoys. I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be say that they originated out here, but it's a, uh, there's the the beginnings of hand carved decoys. Uh, the roots are very deep here in, in the eastern shore of Maryland. Right, and if you go back and decoys, I have a few from Long Island, as we had a lot of shooting up there and duck hunting up there. And my mother collected a few. I wish she had, she collected more, but I have a few hand carved. And one thing I found in just looking at decoys. If you go up to the Cree Indians, they'll make decoys out of mud. Then other Indians along the east east coast use reeds, and they they made like baskets that look like decoys. And so, you know, it's just amazing, um, just that history alone in wildfowl hunting. And you know, hunting is rich in tradition. And Absolutely. I'll just say this that. It's a shame that people who are anti-hunters don't spend some time in the library and do some research and understand the integral part of hunting has been in the civilization of America. Absolutely. I mean, it's what this country lived on. I mean, that's without it, without trapping and hunting, we, we wouldn't be here today. No. And without up on the Mayflower, without the first Thanksgiving where the Indians came in and basically fed them and then taught them how to farm and grow corn, hunt fish and trap, um, they would have perished. Uh, absolutely, without a doubt. And so if you're listening to this and you're a hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman, hunter-gatherer, be proud of what you're doing. And if somebody gets in your face to say, wait a minute, you haven't done your history about this country. And they'll say, oh, that's not important. You go, well, you're here because it was important. Absolutely. So hunt fish and network outdoors. <laughs> Let's talk about right now, every hunter, fisherman, outdoors person makes mistakes. They go, oops. <laughs> and if you're lucky enough, you didn't get hurt. And there's a gazillion different ways. And I've made enough mistakes. But I survived, you know, almost shot my foot, but I didn't shoot my foot, almost fell out of a tree. Well, my my 
tree stand broke, but I was in a white pine. So it broke my fall because white pine snapped, the branches snapped really easy. So my chain snapped on my uh, tree stand because I was just starting to hunt and I didn't have a heavy enough chain. But anyway, it snapped and I fell about 10, 10 feet. Got up, good. Oh, that was interesting. Don't think I'll do that again. <laughs> so things happen in the outdoors. If you're Absolutely. A duck hunter, if you're a duck hunter, I know hunting the Mississippi Flyway out of La Crosse, Wisconsin, I should have got off the water sooner than I did. And, <laughs> um, you know, it was hard getting my dog and myself and my decoys, my shotgun uh, back to the landing. But we made it. But, you know, lessons learned and it could have been really bad. And that does happen to people because the weather turns and the wind turns oh, yeah. and you're out there in a small boat. You're now out there with a tender. I had a, a sport canoe and that's what I had. And with a five horse motor, not even that, I don't think. But anyway, so you have to be careful. So let's share, you know, some of your experiences with the, with the audience and let them know what the lessons that you learned. The, 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 the biggest mistake that I made, uh, that, that I, I, I'm thankful to God every day that it, it wasn't worse than what it was, uh, is, you know, and I did it for years without ever having a safety harness is, is setting up and, and, and hanging new sets and, and moving tree stands without a safety harness. I, I mean, I did it for a long time without ever doing anything. And, uh, you know, it, it, took me having a mistake to realize that, you know, this, it, it could have been a whole lot worse. So one mistake that, that I, that I, if I could stress to everybody out there, you know, always wear a safety harness, always, always strap in, especially, you know, when you're hanging new sets and, and you're putting up new sticks, it, it doesn't take much to happen. I mean, I, I've literally hung thousands of thousands of sets and I'm not exaggerating that number. It, it's, it's, it's a ton but the accident happened uh, and it, 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 you know, I fell. Fortunately, again, same scenario as you. It wasn't super far. Um, I was relatively young. I kind of, you know, tucked and rolled as I hit the ground and was able to, able to get up and kind of knock the dirt off and, and, you know, look up the tree and be like, wow, like that, that, that could have been really bad. That, I could have clipped a branch on the way down. I could have grabbed one of the, you know, one of the steps could have gouged you. You could have landed wrong. There's so many could have that could have happened. And, you know, I, I thank God every day that, that that didn't happen. And as a result of that, I, I, I want to go home to my family every single day. When I go out into the woods, I, you know, I want to come home every day. And taking that extra couple seconds, while it is cumbersome, while it might take longer to, to do what it is you're doing, strapping up to the tree, uh, whether it's a lineman's rope, whether it's a tether, whatever it is, you, you, could, you, you need to make sure you're attached to the tree because it, uh, it's it, that's no 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 situation any any hunter wants to find themselves in, uh, especially out there alone. You know, uh, maybe somebody not knowing exactly where you are, depending on the weather. Like you said, it, it could be cold. Uh, that's one experience that I had that I hope uh, others take heed to and don't make that mistake. There there are some mistakes though that um, I think hunters should make. Um, one that I made go back to your duck hunting. One that I made, and I've only made it once, is didn't pay attention to the tide and didn't didn't think about the ditch that I was going out, not having water coming back in. <laughs> Went out, got out, had a great hunt, and sat on the water for seven more hours to get back in because <laughs> there was no other way in. Um, <laughs> that's a mistake that I made. It, you know, while it was cold, and you know, I uh, you know I joke about it now. It, it didn't put us in a bad situation. It didn't, you know, didn't I wasn't in any harm's way other than just being cold and hungry. Uh, but you know, that's a mistake that I made that I, I, I've only made that one one time. I've, I've not made that one again. I I'll check the ditches I'm running and make sure that if it's low tide, how much water they got and, and gear my hunts around the tide if need be for, for those certain situations. But I do think that, uh, you know, some mistakes like that are, are mistakes that, you know, as you make them, you, you can learn from them. And, uh, you know, it, anything we do, as I said earlier, it's more fun to be successful doing it, but in order to be successful, in most cases, you're going to fail. So take your mistakes in stride and, and you know, look back at them and, and learn what you can from them. Some of my most valuable hunts were hunts that I, I didn't succeed. I, I didn't, didn't close the deal. And 
you know, after the fact, when you look back on them, a lot of times you realize, ah, well, you know what? I bet you if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that, you know, it might have been a different scenario or a different outcome. And, you know, sure enough, you're put in that same situation and, and, you know, you, you don't move when you, you know, when you're not sure if the deer can see you or think little things like that. And, you know, those learn from those mistakes are, are what made me a successful hunter for sure. And I've been very fortunate to be pretty successful over the years of hunting. And, uh, many of those successes came on the back of doing something the exact opposite of that for years in a row, getting to learn what to do right and when to do what. Do you keep a journal? I absolutely do. Very, very detailed. And I've I got one going back. Uh, I was just I was actually talking to a buddy of mine about this. Uh, I have a journal back as far as 17 years ago. Good for you. And folks, yeah. you're not going to remember <laughs> the way the wind was blowing the temperature, the humidity, and if you're on the right side of the tree, the left side of the tree, the back side, north, south, east, or west, I'll just put it that way, and where <laughs> your set was. And if you yep. have that information and you have the date and the time that you're sitting, you can go back and where all that stuff aligns up, you know exactly where to hunt unless they put a shopping center in it or there's a house or <laughs> unfortunately that is the case <laughs> and i say that tongue-in-cheek but that's reality or there's been Absolutely. a fire which may be or maybe not a, a good thing but you have a history a record now i do a lot of fishing and so the rivers the eddies is that rock been moved in colorado rocks move because of the ice and so you have to go through all these things but if everything's the same, I know at any given time I can go to X River, set up with what fly, because I fly fish, and I'll catch fish. If everything else is equal, if anything's off, one thing's off, temperature's off, then that affects the hatch, which affects how fish are feeding or not feeding, so it's not going to work. But if you keep a detailed journal starting today, starting when you're shed hunting, if you're a shed hunter, or if you're just looking for, there's snow out there now, so you're looking for trails, you're looking for bedding areas where there's thermal cover, all these things in the whitetail woods, that all gives you evidence. So even today, if you go out public land, I'm not talking private land, I'm just talking public land, then you go out and take notes. You can do it in your phone. You can transcribe it later and keep a detailed record, you're going to become a better hunter, fisherman, waterfowler, small game hunter. Your thoughts on that? Mike? 100%. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I geek out on it really bad. Like, <laughs> especially like, like trail cams and, and like the data that's there. Uh, it, it's, it, it, that's a huge, huge reason for a lot of my success. And the more that I've done it, the more that I've, I've learned that, um, so I, I, I whitetail hunt primarily. That's, that's my, I love to bow hunt. Uh, that's my, that's my passion. That's my obsession. I love to get in close on, on four and a half year old bucks and, and better. And, and, and looking at all that information and all that data over the years, uh, over the last couple of years, I've learned to realize that deer are extremely patternable, even when the pattern is vague, if you will. I have deer that show up on certain farms that only show up for a very short time period, but it's the same deer every year within a three day window. I, I can, I can set my clock and know that I'm going to see him within these three days. Uh, Why is that? And, and I'm going to interrupt I, you. Why it, is it's that? Post, it's it's pre-rut. So I believe they know when, uh, when certain does come into heat, the time of the year that they come into heat. So I think they they're traveling to these areas to 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 be there for that doe. That doe let her breed him last year. So odds are that doe because the doe chooses the buck that that gets the breeder. She right. just she doesn't just lay down for any buck. So if that buck was able to successfully breed does in this area, then he's going to go back to that area. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have a couple properties where a couple were travel throughs where I just saw them a couple times a year, but others where they came to and they they stayed for. Uh, maybe not a long time, but long enough for me to, to, to get a couple hunts in and, and have a crack at them. Uh, one of my, one of my, my proudest hunts, uh, you know, a buck 
I watched him when he was a, a year and a half old, just a, a very nice frame six point. Uh, you know, saw him that year. Then the next year I saw him again within that same time frame. I'm like, that looks like, you know, that that deer just a little bit blown up. And you go back and you look and and the one thing that was the distinguishing character. And this was the one deer that when I saw him, I realized what was going on and started to go backwards and look at a ton of other pictures and realized that, you know, this was happening on, on multiple properties. Uh, this deer had a, a white patch on his leg that that stood out and on the front of his leg, not like a second white patch, not like a dual chest patch, but he had a second white patch on his leg. And he went from a six point to an eight point. The brow tines kept the same, same style, same curve, but he had that white patch and I knew it was him. I was like, oh, wow. And I looked a year back. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's a day later. I got the first picture of him a day later. And then, you know, he hung around for that time frame. Then the third year he came in and it was the exact same day as the first year. And it was the same deer. And he, again, he was an eight pointer, just a little bit bigger, three and a half year old deer. And I was like, wow, like that's, it's you know only one day difference in the in the same area for the this deer showed up and so the following year he was going to be four and a half had no idea what he was going to look like you know rack wise uh you know but I, he the age class is what i target i'm i'm not a while i like them to have big headgear uh, my goal is to is to reach a certain age class and then shoot them what they have on their head is is, is a bonus right um i just like chasing mature whitetails and i believe four and a half is when they they reach that mark of uh, becoming a different animal to hunt. They they're much keener on their senses. They if they've made it four and a half years, they're they're a pretty tough animal to get within bow range and kill. But I I look back on cameras and you know I'm like all right the winds are perfect. This is day one. He didn't show up. Day two I can get into this spot. I said you know I didn't see this deer all year. No pictures of him. No nothing. First time went in and hunted the set. Here he comes in and, and I killed him the very first time in. And the first time he showed up on the property, I killed him. And doing that and, and having the history there and, and building that history with that deer and then being able to put all that together and go in and sit in the stand and, and kill that deer the first time he stepped. I'm, and I am confident the first time he stepped foot on my property and I killed him. That feeling, I was like, wow, like that's that was a that was a rush like no other that I've killed. And he wasn't the biggest buck I've killed you know, by far. He was, you know, a mid 130s, eight point. The, the just connecting all the dots and, and being able to be successful in that way in that fashion was uh, the adrenaline rush was just amazing like it was it was second to none like after i released the arrow like i i get excited i've been able to to where i can i can usually keep my cool until i release the arrow or until i squeeze a trigger after that it's it's uh, it all uh, everything goes to heck I, you know this one i had to hang my bow up and sit down on my stand because my knees were shaking so bad. I thought I was going to fall out. Like it was just, it was unreal. Like I I'm sitting down and I'm just shaking, like just uncontrollably with adrenaline. And it's like, man, like, and it wasn't the biggest deer. It was just all the pieces that went together to make all that happen. And I was like, that's something that, that, that's something I want to do. I, I want to figure out how to do this over and over again. And at that point, I really dove back into my journal um, looked at a lot of the notes I made. And, and since then over those last, you know, these last five or six years, I've been doing that. I've kept much more detailed information. Like before I was very vague. Um, you know, I just noted what deer I saw, you know, where I was hunting, what the wind direction was, but I didn't take into consideration a lot of the other variables that play a factor, uh, you know, moon phase, the pressure, you know, what was the temperature the day before? How much was, a, how much was of a temperature change was there? There's so many different variables that go into it. And so I, I've made multiple Excel spreadsheets and and geeked out and and just track all these different deer and know when and where I can go and and be able to get in and and be successful or have a better chance of being successful. Um, I've I've gotten to the point where I try to hunt smarter instead of harder. Uh, I may not. I still spend a lot of time in the woods. Uh, most of it is scouting, though. A lot less of it is is going in for the kill, if you will, uh, on on target deer. Uh, so. You know, in doing that, I just that approach to hunting has been a blast for me. I, I just, I absolutely love it. And targeting a certain deer, um, sometimes you eat tag soup. Um, I've been fortunate. The year before last was the first time that I've done that in a long time. But I was chasing a, a absolute monster. Uh, like I have his match set of sheds. His match set. He's a he's a booner for sure. He would be my first booner that I've ever killed. Uh, his his he's pushing two hundred inches uh, last year. Whoa. He isn't. Yeah, he's an absolute giant. Uh, and I, I have his match set from the year before, two years of match set sheds from this deer. And he only shows up in late season, which is fortunate because I get to find his sheds too. Uh, but I I passed up on 
deer targeting this deer uh, that otherwise I would never pass. I passed up on an eight pointer three different times that scores well over 150 and he's an eight pointer. And I didn't shoot him because I know this other deer's there. So reaching that point in, uh, in, in, in my hunting career, if you will, has been, has been pretty, uh, it, it felt pretty good, you know, to get to that point to where I was able to pass something bigger than I've ever killed before, knowing that the chance of, uh, a, a, essentially a buck of a lifetime for sure, uh, is, is a possibility of connecting with. And, uh, it's just the excitement of sitting, the anticipation, just sitting in the tree, knowing that there's a chance that you might get a shot at, at something like that. It's, it, it's a feeling that you can't replicate. It's, it's second to none. And I just, it's something I absolutely love. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm sitting here flashing back and memories and, you know, I can relate my last archery bow hunt, I think was two years ago, maybe three years ago. And they closed the road. So I can't, I can't drive it, you know, in with my camp and you have to get up to the bench, to the trailhead. Uh, it's about 2,000 feet, eh, probably three miles, maybe. But you can't get, they close the road, fire service close the road. But I got in there, and I knew there was good elk in there. Good elk, any elk's a good elk. Pope and Young starts at 280, and I went to get a 300 or better, which are in this area. Uh, my friends killed a 350 bull up in there. So anyway, I drew a tag, and... and uh, went in there and hunted hunting really hard just didn't connect didn't connect and then um i was sitting on this one evening park which is just an opening and uh so i'm sitting there sitting there and my buddy's there with me to help me carry it out because i had told him i said we'll probably kill a bull tonight he goes okay fine and he was hanging with me for a couple of days and so the six point bull comes in and he came in up to 60 yards and with my crossbow i can shoot at 60 yards and he was completely open and i'm sitting looking at him i go do i want to kill you or not because he wasn't a 300 bull and i let him walk and my buddy's looking at me like <laughs> astounded and i let him walk and so the bull just walked off he never knew we, we were there and he said why well, didn't let him go i said because i didn't want to kill him i said i'm in here for a 300 bull and if i don't get one i don't get one Fortunately, I've killed a couple of elk. Uh, and it's just something that if you're a hunter, you'll understand it. When you know, you know, and you start hunting specific animals or set your own bar at X and can pass up other quality animals. You know, years ago, you know, when I was shooting my compound, I would have smoked that sucker. <laughs> that would <have> been... <laughs> That one, as soon as they came out and settled down and gave me a broadside shot, I would have shot him. That it just, as I get older, I'm going, no, that isn't what I want. So he walks, and, and I'm fine with that. And once you get to that point, my belief is once you get to that point, that you're setting your own personal standards, you'll be a lot more successful hunter. What do you think about that, Mike? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, depending on what kind of hunt I'm doing, like if I'm, if I'm going in and I'm, and I'm going into an area where I want to, I want to harvest deer, I want to kill, I, I need to kill deer for whether it's the landowner asking me to or, or whatever. Uh, you know, if I'm going in and I know that I'm going to shoot a doe, when I hear that first stick snap, my heart skips a beat, you know, that the adrenaline starts. And when I turn and I see it's a, it's a, it's a doe that I'm going to shoot, my heart starts racing just as if it was a buck, but the mindset is different going into it. I know I'm going in there and, and, my goal is to kill, you know, an animal, but going in then with the mindset that I'm hunting this specific animal, this, you know, that, that mature buck that I'm chasing, you know, you go in and I, and you see a smaller doe or you see a, a doe or a smaller buck while, you know, just observing deer and watching them more and having them be around you, seeing what they do, seeing how they react to different things that happen while you're just observing. Cause you're not, you're not in kill mode. You're not in that hyper focus, you know, where's he going to walk? When's he going to clear this? When do I need to draw? When do I need to shoot? You know, when you're not in that mindset, you know, you're more relaxed and you're watching what's happening, seeing how they react and what they do and how they co-mingle. Um, I've learned a lot from that too. And, and I contribute that to that mindset of, you know, going in there with, with the thought that if it's not 
this class animal, then, you know, I'm, 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 I'm happy with not squeezing the trigger. I'm okay with not killing one. And by switching gears to that mindset over these last couple of years, you know, I, I've learned a ton, just an observation and, and it wouldn't happen otherwise, because before I was much where you were, like, I, I got very good at killing deer because I killed deer and I killed a <laughs> lot of deer because I, I just enjoyed killed killing deer. deer. And I still love it. Yeah. And, and that's how you get good at anything you do. And I, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to sway anybody from being a trophy hunter by no means. If that's what your mindset is and that's what your goal is, that's great. But then if, if that's what you're going to do, kill as many legal does as you can every year, get good at, at understanding where to place the arrow, when to draw, when to shoot. Because I think, and personally, I know I've had a couple of buddies of mine that, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to shoot anything small. That's absolutely fine. You know, no problem. But they, they go in with that mindset. So when they see that first one, they want to shoot, they either get so rattled, you know, they, they, the buck fever, if you will, kicks in and you, they rush the shot. They, they, they drew too early. They, they just made a lot of mistakes that if they were more comfortable killing deer, I don't think it's mistakes they would have made. Um, and, and I, I know now I contribute a lot of my success to that. I got, I got very good at killing deer with a bow. Like I, I've killed a lot of deer with a bow. I've been very fortunate to have good properties and I spent a lot of time in the woods, but I, I misdrew on deer more than I care to share. Like, you know, you th- you see them coming in, you get ready, you draw and you're waiting. You're like, all right, nope, that was, that was too early. And then you let down, they see, you and poof, you're right. Well, I'm ruined that opportunity, but by just getting better at being able to kill the deer when they present, when the opportunity presents itself um, for that buck that I'm, that I'm chasing, I, I'm, I'm very, very confident. I'll be able to, to do what I need to do to make the shot. And, um, you know, it's been years since I've, since I've had the unfortunate of sticking one and not finding it. So, so knock on wood there, but, uh, and I, and again, I, I contribute that a lot to just successfully doing what it is you're setting out to do. So I encourage you, if you're out there deer hunting, um, you know, shoot does, you know, if, if a legal buck gets you excited, shoot it, who cares what social media is going to say. And, and, you know, everybody, um, that's one thing I wish we could get away from is hunters hating on hunters, you know, for, Oh, I would have let that one go another year. Or, you know, I, you know, that one needed another year. Or, oh, that's a scrub buck or that's a, that's a, that's a pass all day for me. And while it may be for you, you know, as, as a, as a hunter to hunter or a person to person, you know, you never know what that other person's going through. Um, you know, if you don't live in the house with them and even for people that live in the same house, they don't scratch the surface of really what is going on in that person's life. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, you don't know how much blood, sweat and tears went into that person, you know, being able to one, get the license, um, have the time off of work to be able to be out there to, to kill that deer and then to be successful and, and to kill that deer only to hear hate and, 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 you know, negative things towards the deer that they just killed that, you know, I'm sure in many cases, in, in most cases, if not all, you know, the person that killed that deer is ecstatic about making that, making that kill. And, you know, they're putting it out there on social media and then they're getting ridiculed for it. I, that's something that has a pet peeve of mine that I just absolutely despise. You know, again, we just don't know how much blood, sweat and tears went into that success. Um, or, or maybe it was, you know, there's so many different stories that I've heard after the fact now, or people getting bashed for killing a small deer, uh, one that rings, to, you know, sticks very prevalent. Uh, a buddy of mine, his, his father passed, uh, and and they they hunted this property together. And he went out there. He took his dad's gun. He never used his dad's gun because his dad always used it. Took his dad's gun out and was in the stand. And you know, a legal buck walked out and and you know, using his dad's gun, he shot it. And he's killed plenty of great deer, but he shot this buck, and it was one of the most emotional hunts he's been on. He called me afterwards. You know, he's in tears, telling me, you know, I. You know, you know, shot this deer using dad's gun, you know, first hunt out there with dad's gun. You know, he just, you know, felt connected to his father in a way. And he, you know, he posted a picture with his dad's gun and, and people are making hate marks on it. And it's like, you know, if you just knew a little bit of the story, the background behind this and, and, you know, how much that deer meant to him, it, it may have been a, you know, a, a, an 80 inch deer, but it meant more to him than the couple one fifties that he shot because of everything that went into that hunt and, and what it was about and, and, and just, you know, the, the feelings that went along with that hunt. So, you know, I, I, I encourage you to think twice before, you know, if you're listening to this and, and, you, and you hear this part, just think twice before saying anything negative about any deer that shot at any age class hunter, we, you know, just because they're an older person doesn't mean that they're a veteran. They, they may have just got started. 
Uh, and especially the kids. I mean, never, never beat on a kid for shooting uh, any deer that they shoot. If it's a legal deer, let them be, let them be happy with it and be happy for them. I'll say it more direct because I'm 78 years old. What are you going to do to me? And if you want to unfriend me, I don't care. Stop doing that. Celebrate a person's success. A trophy to you has no bearing on a trophy to me. None whatsoever. So before you go, oh, should have let it, what, blah, 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 don't do it. I'm Hutch on Hunting at Hutch on Hunting at gmail.com. Send me all the hate mail you want. I don't care. Because hunting and the tradition of hunting is under attack. And if we don't change our tactics, then that gives the anti-hunters more and more information, ammunition to say, well, they don't even keep their own house in order. Look at this. Absolutely. Look at that. The other thing about social media, you do not know who's posting that. You really don't. Unfortunately, you get an IP address, but you're never going to get back and find. But I believe that some of this anti-hunting or anti-hunter success is being posted by people who don't absolutely don't like hunters. And they'll do anything to tear us down. So the easiest way to do it is celebrate or just keep your mouth shut or keep your fingers off the keyboard. That's my two cents on that. I second it 100%. So let's talk about the future of what you're going to do with HuntFest USA and Networks Outdoors. And we get about another 10 minutes on the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the future with Network Outdoors is is to to get as many chapters as we can in as many states as we can. The goal is to have multiple chapters in every state. Uh, so anybody... How do we do that? Uh, how, okay, so, that's the goal. Yeah. Now, how do we do that? Or how do you do that? Uh, you know, I, I will never do it by myself. It's going to take uh, the, the reach of, of things like this, uh, shows like this, and, and people listening in and, and other states that we don't have chapters. Uh, and and just through the power of social media, social media can be a good thing for us uh, hunters as well as well as it can be a, a negative. Uh, but the the way that it the way that we envision it working is, you know, we we have I have you know my my partner and I and and the, and the members that we have have friends in a lot of different states. So uh, word of mouth is how a lot of this has has gotten to where we are now. But you know, if anybody hearing this is is interested in more about it, you can check us out on our website. It's networkoutdoors.com. Uh, there's a lot of about information. There's you know how the chapters work, what things are. Uh, there's emails to contact uh, members at networkoutdoors.com. And then you, know, you can reach out to me at mike at networkoutdoors.com and, you know, be happy to talk with you and, and see if, you know, where you are. If you want to start a chapter, uh, we can we can walk through that process and let you know what it takes. But uh, specifically, really what it takes is just somebody uh, with the with the the energy and the drive to want to be the the goat the point person for that chapter um, and and Brandon and I'll fly out and or drive out if it's if it's in that proximity to us and and be there to help support you with the, with the first couple meetings and meet with you guys you know every every couple months be out there for the meetings to help um, build relationships and and partnerships with local guide services or or sporting goods stores and things like that but it takes a person who who just wants to be the point person and head it up and uh, orchestrate and, and hold the event once a month. And then we'll help put together other events in the area to help build um, the, the the network there. Uh, each chapter we have, uh, we like to give back to the local communities, wherever we are. Uh, we wanna make sure that we get involved with some local nonprofit of some sort, ideally, and help donate back to the, the community there, whether it's uh, the 4-H club, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, whatever it is in the local area there, that's a, a nonprofit that gives back to uh, the community. Uh, help promote them, help them help their raise their awareness, do some charity events for that to try to, you know, raise awareness in the local areas there. And then, you know, from that point, as members go, um, as we grow, we're looking forward to next year, 2025 in uh, down in South in Florida, we're going to have our first uh, members, uh, yearly members meeting. Uh, we're, we're looking to host an event uh, much like an outdoor show where we'll have the, the companies and, and places that are affiliated with us will be there with some, some free stuff to give away, some, some things to display and put on show. Um, our guides that we use, we'll have them there so they can, they can be there to, you know, spread their awareness and, and hopefully grow their, 
you know, grow their clientele as well. And uh, just put on a, an event where, uh, you know, people from all over the States, you know, maybe wouldn't have met otherwise if it wasn't for, for what we're doing here within the network of network outdoors. So again, anybody interested, you can reach out, check out the website and uh, we would, we would be ecstatic to be able to get chapters going anywhere that we have uh, ambassadors, if you will, that are willing to, uh, to head it up and we can get into the details about, you know, what, what you gain from being that person, that point person. Um, obviously, you know, there are perks for being that person. Uh, you know, the events that we do and the things that we go do, you're, you're able to get out there and, and do those types of things that you enjoy doing. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a, a, as a as a return on your time and investment, you know, we get to help you out with doing those things. What states are you targeting right now? 2024, January, uh, what is it, the 18th. So what would you like? Anybody to anywhere on? with a state interested. We have uh, we have Texas, uh, Arizona. Uh, quite a few different ones in Michigan, Delaware, Maryland, um, looking to start another one in Pennsylvania. Um, I said, Arizona, I, without the website in front of me, I'm rattling off the States that we have it in. I'm, I'm forgetting all of them. Uh, but th there is no, uh, no place that we wouldn't be willing to go to, to set up a chapter. Uh, okay. Wait the a more that I'll we have, the, the better off we are. We'll, we'll share the screen right now. Uh, yeah. If you go to network outdoors, you'll see, uh, the, the main page there, there is a, uh, a chapter list and there's a there's a picture of the united states with a flag for each chapter um, i don't believe the second one that we open in texas is is i don't think it's there yet but it might be and then on the back of the website if you're a member we have a members only section for the website as well so once you become a member you get your access and your login you go in change your password and uh the back end of the website for members only is really cool there's a there's a forum there a chat uh you can see uh you know what's going on within the network um and you can you can see uh, other things that are happening. Um, I, I am uh, I am excited to share that um, in uh, in conversation with uh, with a couple people actually that have some properties and, and connections in Costa Rica, Venezuela, uh, and and looking to hopefully be able to uh, to get out there and, and do some stuff out there with some sailfish and stuff this upcoming year too. Okay, Monroe so, County, uh, that's in Michigan. Michigan, Detroit, Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Crestown is in that's Michigan, also Michigan. Hutsman's, uh, Hunt Huntsman's Club, Club. That's in Michigan. Uh, multi, uh, multi Lakes, Michigan. Uh, Linwood, Michigan. Bazonia, Michigan. Flankport, Illinois. Illinois. Uh, Maryland, Maryland. Maryland. Watkins, Colorado. Golden, Colorado. Gunfield. Yeah. Oh, I should call that guy. Tucson, Arizona. Bristol, Texas, uh, Marriott'sville, Maryland, Mesa, Arizona, and that's it. So, folks, there's a lot of opportunities. I just went to the website. The website, again, is networkoutdoors.com chapters. So that's where that's where Mike's at, and that's where he's trying to grow. Now, are you full-time with the organization? Is this your full-time gig? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I devote any and all time I have to it, um, trying to, trying to make it be what, what we envision it being my partner and I, Brandon both. Okay. And Brandon's last name. Malson. He's in, he's in Michigan. Um, that's where, so the Michigan chapters grew very quickly. And as a result, they got, they got to the size where we needed to, to break them off. We had guys that were traveling, you know, two plus hours for the events. So we kind of, as the groups grew, we broke them off and, and made more chapters. So there was, uh, less travel time uh, for the for the guys out there. So here's here's a shameless plug for Conquest Fence Makers of Evercom. They were the presenting sponsor and are the presenting sponsor for Hutch and Hunting, and Doug and Karen Roberts, and they make Conquest Sense uh, Makers of Evercom Evercom in uh, in Michigan, and so have have Brandon get a hold of them, Doug and Karen. And say you talk to Bruce on the podcast and would like to talk to you about what you're doing, how you're doing it, how it would benefit him to collaborate with you guys. I've been using Conquest Sense for years. And it works. Uh, Evercom it is probably, not probably, it is the only scent that I've put on as a cover scent that I've had deer or foxes walk over and pay me zero mind. They don't it care. Is, no, they don't it, care. It's, it, there's no alarm. It's not about 
attract all there is they have the attractings but the cover scent the deer herd and a stick is is just i i i don't go in the woods without it i i absolutely love it no and 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 it works and and i don't film because i don't i like the experience i have a buddy who's killed a lot of deer a lot more bigger than i have and he doesn't film at all because he wants to enjoy it himself and he's not I film and i can tell you it's a it's a it definitely has another aspect to it and it's uh, well, it definitely does but having said that and if i had the film because i i remember one time i was calling doug and it was it was just the perfect perfect day i was covered oh, oh over by bucks i had a buck an eight pointer chasing a six pointer away from doe the doe was maybe 30 yards away and so the bucks were there sniffing doing their thing and then they came and I get a picture of the tracks in the snow by my boots because I sit on the ground. Now I ground hunt because I just, okay. I'm too old. I just won't get up in the air anymore. I just refuse to do it. And uh, well, I'm not going to do it. And I don't like um, pop-up lights. So I camouflaged myself. I've gotten pretty good at that. Killed there off the ground. But anyway, they came right at me. I'm going, oh my goodness. <laughs> got to run right into it. And they didn't. You know, but I have pictures of their hooves right in front of me. And I had my crossbow, but it was, you know, they were moving way too fast. So I didn't get a shot at all. I would have killed the eight pointer. And uh, just amazing. And I was just covered up with Evercom, you know, and I used the the release that it that it sends just a puff out. So it sends a mist out. I use that also. But around me when I'm setting up, I use the um, wicks and I use the um, the mist and then I just put Evacom on my shoes when I come in and then the trees that I'm sitting with my back, I got one stand. It's just a big old oak and it's hollowed out. You know, it's dead. Oh, nice. But it's hollowed out. So I can put my chair right in there and sit in there. <laughs> so, well, it's good and it's bad because it blocks my peripheral vision. You know, so yeah. if they're not my shooting area. You know, I've had deer just all of a sudden I see their nose. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there they are. That's the way it, that's the fun of it. But anyway, Absolutely. having said that, there's a shameless plug for Conquest Sense, Doug and Karen Roberts. So have Brandon get in touch with them. So closing yeah, closing remarks, when we'll, we'll set up the show now. Yeah, I just, I, I really appreciate you, you reaching out and, and, and having me on the show. I, I enjoy what you post. I, I see you on LinkedIn and um, I, I'm really grateful for, you know, having me on the show. And I, I, I hope it's something we can do again. Uh, anytime you have an open spot and you need time, I can talk hunting and fishing anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, I wish I had had you on. I did have a whitetail podcast for a number of years. Uh, I can't say the number, name of it because um, I don't know the train map to it anymore. My ex-partner does. But anyway, um, but anyway, that would have been, you know, we just didn't connect then and this is now. And so that's good. But on behalf of Hutch on Hunting and my entire audience throughout North America, because I do have people up in Canada and North America, uh, I want to thank you, Mike, for, for what you're doing in the hunting industry for all ages, not just kids. We're talking about anybody that wants to get into the shooting sports, the outdoor adventures get in touch with mike at network outdoors and he'll get you lined up and hopefully i'll see you next year down in texas on a on a sand hill crane hunt because i've heard about it and i just i've just never done it never had a reason well, you can get me on some good fly fishing out there and an elk out there oh, that's come easy. your way too fly fishing's easy <laughs> <laughs> that's the easiest thing the elk hunting anymore folks and that's why i have hutchin hunting at, at my consulting service at hutchinghunting.com uh, because I help people just like Mike, you know, sort it out because honey holes are really hard to find anymore. Yes, they do exist, but with the way Colorado is going, it's the last state that has as many unlimited tags for both rifle and archery for elk. Now the deer, you have to get a limited tag, but elk, you still have over-the-counter tags. And unfortunately, thousands of people come 
from all over the country to hunt Colorado. And yeah. uh, they're really good at what they do. And people like me help them get into places that maybe somebody else wouldn't be able to get into by just logistically access and basins and stuff like that or things like that. But all my old places that I knew in three days, if I got in to the right basin, I would see an elk. I'm not saying kill an elk because elk success is only on private ground, less than 20% for all seasons. Wow. Yeah, that's what it is. And private land or guides, it's a lot higher, a lot higher because private lands, where the elk, where do you think elk go when they're pressured? Yeah. Where, they go to, where there's pressure, no pressure. Right? They go to right. no pressure. And that's private land. So there you go. But I'm very thankful for private land because that creates sanctuaries for these elk that are getting pressured. So hutchandhunting.com, go and visit me. If you'd like to be on the podcast, just like Mike, um, this is how I do my podcast. We have a conversation. Interesting people telling interesting stories about their love for hunting. So with that, Hutch and Hunting says, go out and make it a fantastic day. We're going to end this part of the show, and I've got to give a shout-out to Conquest Scent, Doug and Karen Roberts of Michigan, the makers of Evercom. They've been my presenting sponsor in 2023. I look forward to having them as a presenting sponsor in 2024.